So this is episode number one of The Send and very grateful to be joined today by Hugh McLaren, a good friend of mine from the UK. He's a keen skier and a young dad like myself, which is pretty cool. So welcome along, Hugh. Thanks thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Will. Pleasure to be here. Excellent. <laughs> so you've got some pretty cool stories which we'll we'll rattle into further along the the podcast namely one of the yarns i've heard you tell is about skiing mount narua hobby yeah yeah i have skied it that was a good day it was a good day yeah we can talk about that one a little bit later we will we will we'll get to it we'll get to it so we'll rattle through the um the draft question ideas that i've put together it's going to be it's you you're the first victim so i appreciate you you bearing with the process so Tell me about your first memory of of snow. Well, this one was a bit of a hard one. I have to admit, um, my first memories of snow are not ski related at all. Probably to do with missing school uh, back in the UK, having one of those snow days, getting to stay at home, probably around six or seven years old. And... Um, that's pretty cool um, because you didn't have to go to school. So that was probably my main enjoyment of the snow day was I didn't have to go and do any work. I guess it's maybe a bit different to New Zealand in that, I mean, we're based in the North Island and we've got Mount Ruapehu. But there's not many times where you would be in a whiteout sort of situation, would you? No. <laughs> <laughs> Should we pause it there? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we've had a we've had a change of scene due to um, some some family members arriving home, and now we've relocated to, I'd say probably a, a better acoustic environment. <laughs> anyway, we were talking about um, your first experiences of of snow and growing up in a country where you you end up not having to go to school because there's there's so much of it. Which is a good. I would like to have that problem. I would have liked to have had that problem as a kid. Um, not not just because I didn't want to go to school, but I never actually really experienced it when I was very little. So you had it from when you were six or seven years old. Am I correct in remembering it that way? Yeah, that's right, Will. Sorry, I was just finishing my mouthful of Afghan. <laughs> you did well to stall for me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Your welcome. commitment to the biscuit. <laughs> Got to risk it. I did. Yes, hundred percent. Uh, you're right. Yeah, we did have snow days. They weren't frequent. And when I say a snow day, anyone who has ever resided in the UK can probably relate that a snow day tended to be for about an inch of snow that stayed on the ground. Somehow, public transport didn't know how to function with snow. Um, we're not quite well equipped like some of the other European countries or Canada, which sees snow as no problemo. Um, but I wouldn't complain, I think, because exactly that. We got snow days for an inch of snow, which uh, you then tried to build a snowman with, which kind of struggled. It was almost not enough to go tobogganing because you could still see the grass through the snow. You know, it, it really was a bit of a bit of a light dusting, if we're being really honest. I think that's probably like New Zealand's heavy rain days where 
the public infrastructure just shuts down. But I think that that's, if, I mean, you can kind of forgive a country for having having problems with snow, but I think with rain, that that's a bit more of an indictment on the on the civil engineering and the planning than, um, yeah, you, you know what I'm getting at. I, just... I, I do, I do. Hopefully the listeners do as well. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're painting a picture for you. If you live in New Zealand, you'll get it. If you live elsewhere in the world, you'll you'll think that we're a third world country. But so <laughs> it leads us on to where, where where exactly did you learn to ski? Where did I learn to ski? My first memories of learning to ski, I was 17 and I actually got to go to Canada for a family wedding. Nice. First time I'd ever really uh, left Europe. And uh, we were in eastern Canada, in Quebec, near a place called Mont Tremblant. Uh, pardon my pronunciation to any French-speaking listeners out there. But um, yeah, had a week there. It was very, very cold, is what I remember. And I struggled with skiing for that week. And I'm not going to lie, I probably didn't think I needed to do it again. Did you, did you get lessons? I did have lessons uh, for, you know, sort of four mornings in a group. Nice. I could work my way around the mountain, but I just didn't really thrive off it. Thrive off it, and I hadn't mastered it. I guess. Yeah. Which is. So the enjoyment was not what it is now. No, I mean today my enjoyment of skiing is enormous. Mm. Um, move it on. A year, I was eighteen. Um, I'd left school. I'd left home. And I was training as an outdoor activities instructor. And one of the modules we had was skiing. It didn't excite me, the thought of skiing. I tried it once for a week and that was enough. But during those weeks, I learned to ski. I took a ski teaching exam. And I began to enjoy being on the snow. I trained pretty hard. I was out there every day. I didn't take rest days. I was always trying to work hard on my next thing, trying to master uh, the next piece of teaching. And I guess it took a lot of determination. I wasn't necessarily a natural at skiing, so it took a little bit of time, but with some devotion to the to the sport and working hard on it, making the most of my ski pass and the opportunity I had, I decided I'd give it 100% effort. So this was back in the, in the UK, was it? Uh, this was actually in Switzerland. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I got to, I guess, master the art in Switzerland. Because that sort of, they, they are born and they've practically got boots and, and poles in hand, right? Uh, yeah, they ski out the, out the womb. Yes, out, out the womb and straight onto the slopes, those mm. tiny people. Yeah. And uh, inspirational, which was good to see. But uh, you're always chasing in many ways when you're trying to learn to ski. Because over in Europe, there's the ability to ski literally cross-country, right? So you can you can ski from one country in Europe to the next. Is that right? Yes, it is. Yeah, I mean, at the time of year, you get it right, get your weather window correct, and you can ski tour your, your way over the peaks, or I guess you could even work your way through the valleys with a bit of cross-country if that was your jam. But uh, yeah, the, you know, the place does transform in the winter and it is, uh, you know, people just live on the snow and have a great time and it's all part of life. And where would the the people be coming from generally? Because I guess in Europe, 
you've got a lot of different countries that are within Kiwi of each other. Was there a lot of um, British people there? What was the makeup of the people on your course? When I learned to ski, the course I did was based out of the UK and we actually did a module for six weeks, so 42 days straight in Switzerland. Um, and that's how I sort of learned to ski. Like a lot of European resorts, they're kind of taken over by the Brits um, in that sort of peak season, Christmas, there's a half term week in February and Easter, uh, the places do turn into, yeah, English is the main language spoken, you could say. <laughs> um, but outside of that, was there was there a fish and chip shop that that, that was opened up in Switzerland to, to and maybe maybe a, a curry a curry joint to kind of cater to the the local um, appetite or was did they get into the fondue is it fondue in Switzerland or what's the what's the winter dish of choice? That's a hilarious question. I can tell I'm in New Zealand nowadays. Um, <laughs> there is no way you'd ever catch a fish and chip shop. In the middle of Europe, so far from the ocean, it would be sacrilege. But the cuisine as well, France, Switzerland, Germany, Italy, Austria, you wouldn't need to eat anything other than the local cuisine. It's fantastic. Is there a lot of pickled things? There's a bit of pickled things. They love their preserved meats. Yeah. Cheese, wine. They're quite like thrifty, eh? They, like to, they don't like wasting stuff. I'm being very generalistic with the Swiss people right now. You are, and we're also not talking about skiing anymore. We're talking about, you know, culture. We, we digress. Anyway. <laughs> so that was your foray into learning how to ski, which is pretty epic. And even just making the decision to become an outdoors instructor would be in and of itself quite fulfilling once you were imparting your knowledge to other people, I imagine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> sort of I've, I've maybe answered the question for you but you did yeah i was just agreeing with your statement <laughs> um and you've done this in new zealand right you've you've taught you've what what's your outdoor instructing been like in new zealand have you done what what have you done what have i done yeah well i came from the uk uh seven years ago now and bought my outdoor instructing here and learned that new zealand operates slightly differently but with that slightly more increased freedom meant an increased realm of exploration around New Zealand, whether that was in a sea kayak, mountain biking, going through the bush. Um, and occasionally, uh, in my own time, I would go and get to ski. Yeah. Because I know that um, we've, we've known each other for a while and our um, families are, are pretty well connected and your wife is is a pretty keen outdoors enthusiast as well. And do you think that that's like, how is that a big part of your relationship as well? Do you, do you find that that you, is something like it's a, it's good as do you find it good to have a leisure activity that you, you both enjoy? Yeah, hundred percent. Um, my wife does love being outside, being in the open air, exploring the natural world. And, uh, you're right for us. It's, um, sort of quite a binding part of our our marriage being able to go outside and do these things together um even with our new daughter taking her out for those bush walks introducing her to these 
environment and the beach. Um, no, we don't go quite as hard as we're used to. Not so much the old full handies, as we <laughs> like to say over here. Um, but we look forward to a time when we can maybe ski together again and mm. be on the slopes or surfing in the ocean at the same time. Um, and we look forward to opportunities of being out in the rivers of New Zealand, letting the next generation look after our daughter for us so we can have a bit of an explore together. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. So what's what's kept you coming back each each season? What yeah, tell tell us about the the carrot every year. The skiing carrot. Wow. Oh can you? Oh, I can try my best. I'll try and condense it as well. What keeps me skiing? Oh it's take as long as you need, man. So for me skiing takes you to all sorts of locations around Europe and around the world for me. But not only that, I guess I got to explore terrain. I got to explore different locations and cultures. You got to live in that environment. Um, I really enjoyed some of the challenges as well of different countries. Sometimes the, the snow was different, the snow quality, uh, the skiing required to ski it, and even the snow when it is made up differently, you've got to make different decisions, whether that's to do with the avalanche gradient. If you're not on the pistes, or even when you're on the pistes, somewhere like New Zealand, a little bit similar to Scotland, you have uh, these large nuggets of ice that tend to, uh, you know, just be in the way of nice smooth groovers that you might experience elsewhere in the world. But in those countries, they just reside to get in the way and make it a bit more interesting. So follow-on question from that would be, you, you mentioned snow quality and how ice can rear its ugly head and ruin an otherwise enjoyable run. So on that note, which is the best snow you've ever... Where is the best snow that you've ever skied on? The best snow I've ever skied on. Wow, what a question. Non-skiing people will be listening to this going, oh, mate, it's all the same. And it's like, yeah. once you once you ski, it's like, it's definitely not. <laughs> I mean, I was just imagining a non-skier listening to a ski podcast. Um, oh, it'll, it'll happen. But, it's you know, maybe, you know yeah. when you're the first person out there, whoever you are, yeah, you'll be like, what the heck are they talking this about? Is, this is the gateway to, like, if you can provide a good audio description for what differentiates good snow from bad snow, they're going to be like, well, I'm going to have to experience this. I'm going to have to go to Torpedo 7, get my gear and, and test well, it out for I myself. Know. I know, hey. Um, when it comes down to a piste, I, for me and where I've skied, I've not skied everywhere by any means. I've skied in a few different locations. I'm not one of those guys who have globe trot, globe trotted. That's a big word, hey? Yeah. Interesting trying to good, sneak good that word, in. Good word, though. A good word, just yeah. sneaking it in. Um, I think for me, if we're talking pistes, it would be somewhere in Europe probably in France or Switzerland, mostly because of the quality of snow, but then the quality of machine they use to piece it. Mm. So when you're up there early, the groomers, as you can call them, are really crisp. The snow is good quality. It's well-groomed. It's well-piesty bashed. And you can make some wonderful turns just to start your day, and it's just so, so enjoyable. Mm. Nice wide runs. Yeah, Europe have, have wide runs. 
compared yeah. to some of the other places that we both have skied. Yeah. So that's always an enjoyment and a delight. But what I would say for snow quality, if you're venturing off the groomers and into the off-piste, I've skied some some good snow again in Europe. Uh, I've had my day in New Zealand. They're less frequent. Um, but every now and again, you experience snow that you haven't quite experienced. And probably there's one that sticks in my memory in Switzerland um, a few years ago now. And it's known as champagne powder, mostly because of the way it's sort of formed with the snowfall and the freezing process. It gets so light and it sounds like a almost like a shingle beach as you make your turns. And the way it sort of forms the ice crystals and the compactness and the density. And I skied it once and it was quite a unusual feeling. Mm. It's quite different to what we might describe powder snow mm. as a generalization. And so I skied that once and that was pretty cool. Um, so for me, that was a good memory. And when you talk about what's the best snow I've come across, you know, if you're adding that all together, it's going to be somewhere in Europe at the moment for me. Um, that, that is, I mean, you, you could be on the on the tourism board for for Europe generally by saying, well, the best snow I've ever had is, is champagne snow in Switzerland because you're bringing together two, best of France, best of Switzerland in a sentence. Champagne in Switzerland. Yeah. Yeah, binding them together. It's a good. It's a good. It's a good marriage. It's a good. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I could get in behind that. Um, <laughs> I've only ever skied powder um, very briefly in New Zealand. I managed to catch some at Tudor, and I've skied it in Canada. And it's it's a. I'm not advanced enough to probably enjoy it yet because it's a it's a different technique to when you're skiing firm snow or groomed snow and. Yeah, it's something I'm I'm keen to learn more about, but that's that's another topic for another day. So, next question, snowboarding. Have you tried it? And if so, how was it? I have tried snowboarding. Uh, I haven't done much. It didn't have the same appeal to me. Maybe that's because it took me so long to master the art of skiing um, or get myself to a level on skis that now as a family man I can pick up the skis once in a blue moon I can jump on them they don't feel unnatural I make my turns and within one run I'm content I'm able to make clean tidy maneuvers and ski any of the terrain I want to um, which means I haven't really got the motivation to learn the new the new the new way which might be snowboarding but I have tried it because I wanted to try and understand what snowboarders saw. Um, but it didn't quite give me the bug that skiing has. Mm. Um, and maybe I just valued my wrists. Because you're yeah, cool. And my butt. And a, a dry, un, unfractured behind. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I haven't got that much padding. I'm still reasonably <laughs> slender. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can vouch for that. There's, there's not a lot of, lot of cushion there. <laughs> so everything vibrates when you smash into the piece on a snowboard and... I ain't got time for that. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So it's it's not something that's that's yeah, high on your to-do list is to master snowboarding in the near future. You're gonna be when you're when you're able to get back up up the hill, you're gonna be clipping into skis and, and getting back into the old familiar routine. Yeah, hundred percent. Back yeah. to the skis. No, no, that's nice. snowboarding, no. Nice. I'm 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 with you on that. I mean I I think it's kind of amusing the 
the rivalry that exists between skiers and snowboarders and even just you know i don't know i'm, I'm probably gonna get a few backs up with this but you know they, they always just didn't seem to like rookie snowboarders just seem to be taking out skiers left right and center i don't know if that's a combination of rookie snowboarders and rookie skiers but and the um i don't know i think it's easier to control yourself on a set of skis and potentially get out of trouble if you're getting into trouble than when you're just both feet are kind of planted on a on a skid i don't know i might i need to give it a go and i'll i'll, I'll i will i will do it and i'll report back so what do you what do you think about and, and are you familiar with the phrase send it send it send it i've come across a bit of sending yeah yeah so tell me tell me about your, your best send or when you've gone full send and either completely owned yourself and it was fantastic or pulled it off and it was fantastic <laughs> send it well you know when you're learning to ski at 18 with a group of guys and uh maybe one girl in our group, I think it was. You, uh, yeah, there is a bit of the old send it mentality, it has to be said. And um, occasionally it gets you into situations where maybe sending it wasn't the best choice, but it's uh, just what you do at that age and you hopefully learn from it. Hopefully as well, it's a forgiving enough experience that you don't, you know, wreck yourself, mm. um, which I've had a couple of close calls, but nothing too uh too crazy um as for sending it uh one thing that sticks in my mind i think would be i remember in my first year of learning to ski when i was 18 doing that six week course i remember that one of the guys was like it snowed a lot and we'd been trying to learn how to ski drop-offs you know just dropping off a rock off piste onto a, a landing and i i honestly i couldn't drop anything and land it that's besides the point. Some of the problem was I didn't know anything about skis. Um, so I was actually, you know, being over six foot, I was skiing on a 160 ski, 72 underfoot, which if you're short. a skier, you'll know that's a short ski and it's a very narrow ski. Yeah. Um, and it's neither of which are good for off-piste. But that's great, how great I... Great for doing some big carved turns though. Not, well, even, not, not even that. They'd be really tight carved turns. <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah, I, I don't know. I got given them, and that's what I learned on. Yeah, um, and there were—I <laughs> can't say too many good things about them. But anyway, weren't good for point. stomping big. No, big, they were um, not good, and they were not jumps. even good to learn to ski off piste. But that's besides the point. You got to make do with what you got. It, you know, to just, a point, it just makes your story a little bit more hilarious. So yes, it snowed yes, a yeah. lot, and the boys had eyed up this huge rock. They were like, "We're gonna drop it when it snows," and I was like, "Oh, that's a good idea." Um, one of the other things I didn't really think about was you actually need a slope steep enough to land on. And the landing slope wasn't actually probably steep enough, even if you had the right skis on. But more of a tabletop kind of situation? Or? Well, you know, it's sort of like 15 degrees, maybe mm. 20, and you, you kind of need about 30 to The read. physics wasn't really lining up. No, and, you know, it was a large rock. It was probably eight metres at least. Um, but, yeah, a big snowfall. And, uh, yeah, the boys were like, let's send it. And I was like, cool, we're at the top of it. Um, one of the guys went first and heard the whoops at the bottom, got the thumbs up from the next person at the top and, yeah, lined it up between these two fir trees, caught my ski on the on the lead in and uh, 
fortunately, the last minute I was able to sort of lift it up while I was on my left ski, lift it up, get it next to my right one just on the lip. And yeah, then I was dropping, well, it ends up being, I don't know, about 30 foot, doesn't it? And it felt like eternity. And, um, ah, oh, you know, you feel like you're going to break yourself in half because you realize the landing is not steep and you're just looking at the ground coming towards you. Um, but fortunately, there was about a, a meter of powder and it all just absorbed and you just tumbled meters and meters and meters, skis everywhere, poles everywhere. Then you double just, eject. Double eject, mate, 100%. I didn't even know what a din setting was really at that point. So <laughs> this, it was just a disaster. But nothing was done right. Um, there was no planning there was, other than just massive rock, lots of snow, let's send it. Did anyone manage to get it on a on a GoPro or a phone or something captured the moment? Oh, I have an old picture. I mean, nice. it's about 13, 14 years old now, and it's pretty hazy in today's quality. Had to take it down to the chemist and get it developed, did you? Uh, I, I did have a small printout somewhere because nice. I was sort of proud of it. Yeah. But I do look like a starfish. Both arms are up. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm even holding my poles by the time I'm getting towards landing. And um, that was just... Did you, did you, did you do the windmill? I don't, oh, mate, I don't think my arms were strong enough to windmill. They were just above my head. Nice. I honestly can't remember. It was a blur, and I was wearing a retro ski jacket. This was back in the days where you wear no helmet as well. So um, wasn't a wasn't a one piece ski suit by any chance, was it? No, it wasn't. I think it might be my dad's jacket though. So it was sort of like a turquoise, bright orange, a tiny bit of like sky blue on it. You nice. Know, oh, you know, it was pretty just, edgy. I mean, it came out well on a picture. Yeah. No, you would have had the um, the contrast. Yeah. And then it was full of snow by the end because, you know, I wiped out horrifically. So you had you had a nice sparkle at the end of the day. Oh, well, I'd love to say I did, but I don't think we did. In we, your jacket. <laughs> in my jacket, yeah. We were in a dodgy, dodgy chalet that was condemned. So, you know, <laughs> that's another story in itself, but we'll ignore that. Yeah. That's cool, man. Um, so obviously you've, you've progressed a little bit from there and, and you've you've got better kit and you've able, you've been able to maybe execute some uh, maneuvers that you're a little bit more proud of and, and, and maybe worthy of, a, of a, a snap that could end up in the ski magazine as opposed to being a nice uh, funny <laughs> moment that is on the wall at home. Yeah, yeah, I, I have got better over the years since then. Um, I don't send it like that at all. Um, keeping it, keeping it civil. Yeah, you know, the drops actually never really got in in my blood and I'm not also one for hitting the jumps in the park sort yeah, of thing. I can relate to that. Uh, I, d I do enjoy a good piece ski but I also do enjoy off piste and if it does require or you know there's just a little drop off then I'm more than happy to hit it now. Um, mm. But you know once you start getting above three or four meters and it requires a bit of focus and landing and planning and rather than just ski it for fun then uh, then I'll probably you know I'll just leave it. I'll just keep enjoying my day. Yeah, yeah. It's like those, um, I've got those ads on TV now, eh? like these, I think, I think it's an ACC, and they're, they're showing these risky situations in, in the mind's eye of someone, and they're, they're like, just about going to go and send it, and then they get this kind of like, I don't know, visualization of then having to go and look after their kids while they're in a full body brace or something. And I guess it's probably handy. Like, I mean, I'm not, I think, it's getting the balance right, isn't it? Because when you're a little bit older, you've you've got other you you're a bit more wise in terms of what the potential consequences are, <laughs> and yeah. bod bodies don't get any more supple, do oh, they? Hard out. That's true. That's 
you know, you, you don't, you know, you've got responsibility. You yeah. Know, you've got it and I've got it. And uh, you do then think twice before doing something a bit more risky. I do still enjoy an element of risk because, you know, in some ways that's that's why we like the buzz. Yeah. But, uh, you know, one man's risk is different to the next and mine's probably changing as I've got older and become a family man. Mm. Um, and you might be able to relate to that as well. Oh, yeah. I'm looking I'm looking forward to um, to going skiing with my, my son. I hope that he finds it enjoyable. It's it's an interesting one because you go up you, you go up to Ropehu or wherever you go skiing and, and you'll inevitably see families and young kids and some of them look like they're having the time of their lives and I'm very envious of those little little sprogs that are able to zoom down the hill and it just looks effortless and they fall over and they just kind of bend into whatever yeah. random yoga pose that I can never achieve <laughs> and they just get up and, and march on and they've got the biggest smile on and they're having a ball and then equally you see kids that are just done and they're having a big old tanty yeah. and mum and dad you can tell there's, there's this, this look of disappointment and anguish of all the logistics that they've had to go through to get up the hill and and then little johnny is just not into it and i guess that's uh i don't know it'll be interesting to cross that bridge one day and and see how um our kids kind of react to going skiing whether they like it or they hate it because it's um it has the potential to be a great family sport and I've seen a lot of families enjoy it and make it, you know, a thing where they go away for the winter and, you know, they'll book a batch and have a great time. And, um, but equally there's probably some that, you know, there's been some grown up kids out there that have some traumatic memories of skiing. Definitely. Definitely. And, you know, as, as a parent, you will then also have to deal with being on the other side of seeing them as they sort of grow and flourish, not necessarily in snow sport, but in other activities you know, when they're at an age that we were once and doing the things that we got up to. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of anticipating some nervy moments probably. Well, it's getting that balance right, eh, in terms of you don't want to wrap them up in cotton wool, but equally you know what could go wrong. Yeah, hard out. You know, that does touch on a, like in some ways a sensitive area, maybe for for me. You know, I I had a few close calls and skiing and you know, I felt fortunate not to have suffered any long injuries from skiing but what I would say is that you know I, I have had friends who have died skiing okay. um when I was in my 20s you know there was a there was a little flurry of two or three guys that I knew um one of you know one or two was a freak accident another one was maybe making a decision that wasn't the most sensible it didn't go well and then they got really unfortunate and it went really badly. Um, Do you want to maybe tell us a bit more about that if you, if, you, if you want to in terms of the circumstances surrounding it? Because I think it's quite interesting and could be beneficial for others to hear about that so that they might learn something from it. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I guess I'll try and touch on it a little bit more then. I mean, one was someone that I knew from my time in the outdoors in Scotland, a very, very, very good skier, well-qualified ski instructor who was actually at work, you know, training the, uh, I think it was training the, you know, the British junior off-piste team or something a few years ago. And 
and he uh yeah he was going down and hit something came out of his skis and had a had a head injury mm. that then uh became fatal right um which i'm was, guessing he would have been wearing all the the right gear and helmets and that kind of thing or yeah you'd assume so um with the role he had but at the end of the day as well i won't divulge too much just for sensitivity yeah, i guess enough. around that time you never know who's listening i guess and so yeah for me my reflection was obviously that it can happen to anyone mm-hmm. he was a top level performance coach mm. who was enormously talented in the ski world and was well recognized and had an accident mm. which was just horrific uh, out, out of the blue and that trauma was hard to process i'd seen him just two months before i think and i'd only just arrived in new zealand and it happened yeah in the northern hemisphere winter so that was quite tough to deal with now, another one was probably more to do with choosing the wrong place on the wrong day um someone I went to school with he and a friend decided to ski a well-known shoot in Europe one of the ski resorts there and it wasn't in the right condition Uh, it wasn't fresh snow it wasn't the right avalanche forecast it was icy temperature wasn't right and it was steep one of the problems was it had a run out you had to turn the corner at the bottom of this chute below the rocks and then traverse out because actually further down it it dropped off a cliff Mm. for him and his friend they decided it was a good day to ski it um so you know reflections are the the terrain wasn't the right terrain for that day wasn't a good choice and it was also a high risk shoot in the first place which you probably want to be skiing on a on a day when you're you know in the right place at the right time Mm. and for them they both had a bit of got into trouble when they skied and they wiped out they were off their skis and there was nothing stopping them going down the chute and they just didn't stop and Mm. they went over the edge at the bottom and unfortunately it was visible from parts of the resort so people saw it happen and saw these two figures descend the cliff and that was yeah again a surprise traumatic to hear and so and they both neither of them made it i'm i'm picking up no neither of them mm-hmm. so that was uh there's some pretty heavy stuff to not to deal with personally setting aside the fact that it's a sport that you know and love to have people that you your friends with that you're close with pass away tragically like that is is really hard and then with it being tied into something that you're super passionate about forms a big part of your identity. How did you, what did, how did you pick up the, pick up the skis again and, and get into your next run? Like, did it, did you have any, any um, angst about that or did you feel nervous or how did you feel? 
Yeah, well, I did feel nervous. I think that was the same. You know, this, though those things happened in close proximity to one another. And I remember, yeah, the next time I got on skis, I was nervous, particularly when I began to start exploring the terrain I enjoyed to go to, mm. which was steeper, a bit more out the back, a bit more of the off-piste. But, um, you know, I had a friend who, who worked over here in New Zealand for a few seasons, a very, very good skier again, and he's very switched on. And he just said, Hugh, let's, uh, let's go skiing. Let's go have some fun. Mm. Let's go and do what we enjoy to do and maintain it within our limits. And so it became a bit more about actually why do I ski? Mm. Yes, it was in the back of my mind, particularly the first couple of times I skied narrow off-piste shoots. It's in your mind. Mm. Um, but you again, you have to sort of put it to one side because when you're, when you're skiing in those environments, you need to be focused to be able to perform, to make your turns at the steepness you're on or how narrow it is and be ready to deal with any changes in snow quality or condition. But then on, on another hand, you also need to remember that you want to enjoy what you're doing. Mm. And if it doesn't give you the enjoyment it once did, then maybe it's time to change it slightly, which is possibly why I don't send it quite as hard as I used to. Mm. Maybe that, maybe having a family, uh, maybe not being able to ski all the time anymore. Um, having done two or three seasons, you sort of felt really strong and really good and capable and switched on. Whereas now... Because how many days, so when you were skiing at, at your peak in terms of the amount of days you were getting in, do you know roughly how many days in you would be getting in a season or a year? Um, I guess at my height, maybe, I don't know, 50, 60 days wow. in, a, in a winter. Um, that's, that's impressive. Yeah, I mean, in, in Europe, that's probably nothing. You know, some guys will be getting 120 or more. Yeah. But I guess, you've, you know, you've got to balance it as well with how long you're, you're in that environment and your commitments to work and what that looks like and all of those things. So, yeah, I've had a good number of days and, yeah, I've probably clocked up the hundreds in my life and I feel very fortunate to have done that as well because, mm. you know, as we see, skiing is quite an expensive sport wherever you are. Yeah, what do you what do you think about that in terms of there is a perception out there around the skiing and the ski community and it being a little bit out of reach and costly and things like that. What do you what are your thoughts on that? Personally, I find it quite challenging. I love to ski, but you're you're right. I do think it is a little bit elitist. Um, it's only accessible majority-wise to those that can afford it. Mm. Skiing is a an expensive sport, expensive hobby. There are maybe ways you can do it slightly cheaper um, when you're really switched onto those things and if budget is something you're conscious of, then I think there are folks who are, are very good at, I guess, crunching the numbers and getting the maximum amount of ski time 
for their budget. Shoestring skiing. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, if that's what you want to do or mm. if that's all you can afford to be able to do what you love, then mm. fantastic. And then I think there is possibly another cohort of folks which are those that maybe can't afford it but they then work in the ski industry or work in the environment where they can go and ski mm. and just commit to... Make it their life. Yeah, making it their life by being in the environment. Mm. I think that then does leave the biggest group of people, which is those that can't afford to ski and then can't also afford the time or the lifestyle to be in the environment to ski. And therefore, how do we as... I guess, New Zealanders, but also then globally make it accessible to those that don't have access to skiing. And that is something that I don't have an answer to or a solution of my own because, you know, skiing costs money and the money has to come from somewhere somehow Mm. to make it achievable for whoever you want to put on the snow. Um, but that's that is a big can of worms. Maybe you could do yeah. A whole I mean, that's an interesting that. thing that you you touch on, and, and as you just said in the end, I think that's a great idea for a future episode. And I'm sure there is someone out there or an organisation out there trying to achieve that in terms of opening up the sport that we're both really passionate about to people that otherwise might not be able to access it. Because I'm firmly of the belief that it's a really enriching hobby and experience and it shouldn't be you know people shouldn't be excluded because of their means or whatever circumstance that they happen to be um they're you know for whatever reason that they can't do it i think that you don't want to be removing barriers where you can so i think that that's a that's a really good point and something that I'll, i'll definitely follow up after this and probably in a way um you've you've kind of answered it but I'll ask the question anyway in regards to if you could change one thing about the sport, well, it might not be one thing, it might be a couple of things, but what would it be? Yeah, interestingly, probably is accessibility to the masses. But I don't know how I would change it necessarily. I think it'd be a good place to have a conversation. I do wonder whether a better starting point might be around talking with people and actually if someone wants to try skiing or be motivated to explore skiing or even get into skiing as an industry for a job or even something they 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 think they might want to do i think one of the things we need to remove is the the can't attitude whether you come from a background that doesn't think you can afford it or have the access to it. We often do have choices as humans. And I just, I think that's why I worked in the outdoor adventures. It enabled me to work with people who often didn't have access to the outdoors or access to the equipment. Sometimes we linked with charities who had fully funded it. So there's often ways and means for people to have a go Mm. or to experience it or to try and explore that route. And so I think if we can help people who think it might be something they want to do or something they passionately believe they want to do, that actually with a bit of exploration, there is a channel out there for them to travel down. There is a route, there's a conversation to be had or an application to be made 
or a meeting to be had to get them their foot in the door mm. towards the snow. Um, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's there's an element of there needing to be a bit of initiative on whoever it is that wants to get involved. They need to be feeling, feeling comfortable with putting their hand up and saying, I want to do this, but I don't know how, and I might not have all the, the gear and know-how, but can you help me? <laughs> Pretty much, exactly. That's hitting the nail on the head. That That is it. Um, for me, I got, I got lucky. I didn't necessarily think it was something I wanted to do, but an opportunity arose when I was 17 to try it. Mm. And I tried it and I made my decision that actually it wasn't something I wanted to pursue. Ironically, it then became part of my life by enormous amount of chance and I learned to love it. So, you know, for, for me, that, that was just fortunate but I would suggest that those that want to get involved in it or experience it, then there are ways and means, but it does require some effort yeah. really to try and get those those balls rolling. Well, I'll, I'll do a bit of research after this and I'll, I'll put some links to any organizations that I can find in the, in the show notes so that if anyone is listening and maybe not sending it at the moment and, and would like to, <laughs> then they can be directed in, 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 into some organisational people that could help them out. Because I think that that's, I'm just picking up between the two of us, it's something we're both quite interested in. So I don't think it'll be the last conversation we have about that, which is which is cool. So we're almost at the the penultimate question in the yarn that I've, I've been wanting to hear from you. And I think I have heard from you before, but, and I don't know whether to ask the, the, the question about gear or the expedition what do you think? Do you want to talk about the expedition and then the gear or the the, the gear? The, the, yeah, oh, yeah, you know, you're talking about Narahoe. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. That's the one. That's the one. Yeah, I mean, let's bring it back home to New Zealand. Yeah. And um, I guess anyone who's in New Zealand actually wants to hear about their own country a bit and some of the wonderful places that you can get to. Yeah, Narahoe, I skied it maybe six years ago, I think, uh, with a guy called Greg Beasley. Um who, yeah, a friend of mine, haven't seen him for years because actually I wasn't in New Zealand for a bit there. And uh, yeah, he had a spare set of skis and I had my boots. They were the right length? Well, they're a bit long <laughs> and a bit fat. They were pretty massive. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Um, but I didn't have a set of skis at the time. So um, I went to go and see him and we were actually planning to go rock climbing around... Um, like Taupo area, it was September time. Yeah. And this amazing weather window opened up, blue sky, no wind. And often ski touring in springtime is nice because you have a longer day, but then the snowpack tends to be quite good and it gets softened by the sunlight. So you can often ascend on slightly crispier snow and descend when it's just softened and the the top of the snow is in good condition for spring touring. Mm. Um, so yeah, I borrowed a set of skis from Greg and he led the way and beasted me up from uh, Manga to Popo car park. We had to ascend all the stairs, spent a couple of hours getting up to the, the saddle and then up we went, Narahoe. Um, amazing day, beautiful weather and I had, a, had an early lunch on the top and just let the sun do its work for an hour. And, um, what did you have for lunch? 
Oh, sandwiches, mate. Pre-made sandwiches yeah. and a cup of tea. Cup of tea. Yeah. The thermos, yeah. the thermos held up. Yeah, it did. I had to put my sunblock on as well because, you know, I'm not used to the New Zealand sun, so. Yeah, the ozone um, layer's got, there's a bit of a deficiency over our part of the world. Yeah. yeah. By your hole. <laughs> there, there is a bit, isn't there? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and then it came to skiing down. Um, a few, good few hundred metres of snow ahead of me, which was which was great. And, yeah, we strapped on the planks. And I looked at Greg and then, uh, yeah, I was on these skis I'd never skied before. But, you know, within a couple of turns, I was like, yeah, yeah she's good. Um, good do you, do you remember what they were? Oh, I can't remember, but they're about 190 in length and about 110 underfoot, which wow, is pretty that's big. For, that's, a, that's like a big fat powder ski. That That is. It's definitely a little bit out of place in New Zealand. Yeah. Well, there's some guys down south, from what I understand, that, you know, will have a couple of wider skis in there. Yeah. quiver for those those I'll be hard-pressed to say that I've had a snow day in New Zealand that's warranted enough width. Like, <laughs> I'll be honest. Can it warrant the width? Yeah, pretty much, mate. I'll be honest. But... You know, that's what I had access to, so I skied them. Uh, and, it, yeah, Narahoe is good steepness. Um, what, what If you were to chuck a protractor on it, what do you reckon the gradient would be? <laughs> oh, it's hard to guess. It looks steep from, like, when you're looking at it from um, Ruapehu, if you're on mm. on the ski field, it, it's, it looks intimidating. Yeah, I kind of hadn't thought enough about it, I guess. And then walking, uh, you know, you ended up walking up here at the top because of the steepness, you know, and you're stabbing your toes in and climbing up. And I do remember standing at the top thinking, oh, this is, this actually might require some focus. <laughs> um, I mean, fortunately, it's reasonably wide. It's not like a narrow chute. But from, you know, it would be over 30 degrees, which is pretty decent when you haven't got a lot of resistance from the snow you mm. know it wasn't powder snow it was just summer you know a bit of spring summer, corn uh, spring corn exactly sorry i don't know why i called it summer anyway <laughs> well, i mean you know like if it's if it's corn in summer it becomes summer corn right yeah oh, exactly it was september though so you know, stre- <laughs> stretching it a little yeah but what i do remember though is i remember setting off um and greg had done a bit of touring this time and skied a fair bit and i was like oh yeah she'll be all right and I just hooned it down this mountain and I was having a whale of a time. And I pulled in about halfway down because I thought I should check that Greg's still on his skis. And uh, I realised that uh, I'd probably gone a little bit quicker than than Greg had anticipated. And he was doing some slightly wider turns and he pulled up behind me. <laughs> and I asked him how he's going and he was like, that was quite a challenge. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> So um, yeah, I mean, if if you're if you're comfortable on steeper terrain, yeah, it's it's great, and it was a wonderful day out. The weather was insane, and it was pretty special to ski such a iconic mountain, particularly mm. for New Zealand and in the North Island. Totally, um, yeah, having that opportunity. Well, it's not like happened. we've got heaps to choose from. In the North Island, you're a little yeah. bit restricted. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for for those of you for listening, we're we're currently sitting in a in a nursery and and fielding. <laughs> so yeah. it's like it's not exactly Methven where you've got Mount Hutt, you know, a stone's throw from the village. I guess we are pretty close to um, Ruapehu, and it's like a two-hour drive, two and two hour and a two and a half hour drive to the Tūroa car park, depending on how fast you go. Yeah, and whether you got babies in tow. True. But so the know. rest of the the the, 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 the <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think skiing down Naruahoe with a with a front pack would be 
I, that's kind of like Michael Jackson dangling a kid out the the hotel window. I, I don't do know. remember that. Yeah, right. <laughs> that wouldn't go. If well, I mean, who's gonna who's gonna know? If, as long as you don't put it on social media, no one will find out. I'm not saying you should do that, by the way. But I mean, you know, that went down a whole other track that I didn't expect yeah, that's it to go down. Swiftly onwards, please. Well, <laughs> um, so the rest of the descent, you 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 caught up in the middle, and you did you did you just ski the rest of the the mountain together? Yeah, yeah. I let Greg go first, uh, and um, you know the angle and the gradient eases up a bit. Yeah, um, you haven't got to avoid so many rocks. It was a good, a good winter. So yeah, we just enjoyed it. Just did some big turns. Just where did where did the snow run out? Like, I mean, and how far did you have to walk at the end of it? Yeah, I mean, it ran out the quality snow at the the sort of the saddle as it goes in between Tongariro and Narahoe. Um, so we got to the top of the staircase there at the, the Mangatapopo direction again and came down the stairs and walked our way out with the skis on the bags. Um, it was... Were you yeah, pretty pretty spent at the end of it or was it not too bad? I was mostly because of Greg was a bit of a beast. He, he uh, you know, being, a pretty He's a mountaineer um, and a winter mountaineer by trade. He's ascended Mount Cook about nine or ten times. Oh, so wow. he's, he's pretty handy in the mountains. <laughs> um so he he was the keen bean for the walking bit yeah and i was the keen bean for the three and a half minutes of skiing bit oh you did time it uh, well no not quite <laughs> but it well, it wasn't long i can tell you that but yeah, yeah the walking yeah you know, i don't know what that accumulated to i don't know about six hours in the day maybe was was spent on our feet walking in and out so so top tip for any um aspiring Nauruahoe ascenders and descenders would be to make sure you got your bit of fitness on board before you get into it. Yeah, I mean, Greg Greg had his pole and he just poked me all the way up. He, <laughs> That's one way to do it, keep he, the motivation He up. spun all sorts of yarns about not needing food. And oh, I do yeah. remember one of those guys, eh? Talking all sorts of rubbish to me to keep Beer me going. Girls. Pretty much, yeah, he's a bit of a machine. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a good time, I have to say. Nice. So this... Um, Leads me on to my next question, and I guess it could be a piece of kit that is borrowed or owned. But what's? Do you have a favourite bit of bit of gear, and and what is it, and and why? Favourite bit of gear, what is it, and why? Oh, it's hard to pick one because everything kind of links together. Once you have a nice set of gloves or something, then that leads to your nice jacket or just something that feels very comfortable and homely. But I think if I was to choose, I probably would say my own ski boots. Mm. Uh, I had a pair for many years I bought with me from the UK. They fitted my feet like a glove and they were just like old friends. You know, you're well connected. They were comfortable. They were molded. You forgot they were there. Well, not quite. You've always got these heavy things on your feet. Yeah, yeah. But they, they, the they do make your whole experience more enjoyable. Whether you're changing skis, you know, that's okay. But when you've got a nice boot that, that's yours and your own and you haven't got a compromise, then, you know, then you are able to deal with most things that come your way on the ski fields. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that, that's something I've heard. I mean, it's, this is only episode one of the podcast, but I'd be willing to wager that that one will come up again if I ask the question because... It's quite often said to beginner skiers that if you're going to spend some money, 
put it into your boots as opposed to any other paraphernalia. And um, I followed that advice. I'm still on the same pair of boots that I bought when I started skiing. And it was a chunky investment and I got them fitted at a shop called TCB in Oakuni. And the guy that helped me out, his name was Nick, he was really good. Took the time and um, I got custom footbeds and all of that kind of thing. And I can't say that at the end of the day or during the day, I find that my boots are a weak link, if you know what I mean. Like I think it's more my lack of preparation in terms of doing some good stretches or other forms of exercise that would get me ready for a, for a good day on the slopes. But yeah, that's, um, that's cool. Good, good, um, good knowledge too. And, and, um, I think, yeah, anyone else that's listening that might be getting into it, Hugh, Hugh rates having a good pair of boots. Yeah. He's all about it. Certainly am. Good stuff. Well, got one last question to, to wrap us up and I didn't expect us to be going for almost an hour talking about this but I guess that's time flies when you're having fun but if you could only ski one place until you die where would it be that's a horrible question okay you want me to to think of another one no no let's answer it come on (laughs) if I could ski one place I at the moment I would have to choose somewhere in Europe um, does it have to be a country, a small location, a single resort? I could be a real prick and say one ski run. Nah, nah, mate. You're just you're doomed to like you one can't even ski. when you get off the chairlift. Like there's there's people there and they're making sure that you don't go anywhere else. They're like, now you've got a you've got the why not run on Tudor for the rest of your life. Oh, man, that's <laughs> horrible. I think you'd have to pick one of the longest runs you can possibly do. Um. You know, there's like one from in Teen in France. You go from the top of the glacier. There's some steep terrain and then there's some wide terrain. It goes all the way down to the bottom, you know, a couple of thousand meters of descent. So that would probably be your ski run. But then, you know, the other part of it, when you said you could only ski one place for the rest of your life, you know, that would be all right, actually, Teen, because France actually has some incredible cuisine and atmosphere and snails and snow can't say they really have many snails in the ski resorts but yeah lots of cheeses lots of cheeses oh, red right. wine yes you know and the fires are burning the log cabins are there you paint smell in the air maybe some crepes crepes <laughs> you know and all sorts of delights and deliciousness you know you'd be oh, obese as well by the end of it that's but. it's funny you mentioned that because that's another episode i'd like to focus on is i'm probably going to really butcher this but ski. At Preski. Let's just say it like white people that we yeah, are. Ski. Yeah, Apres Ski. Apres Ski, mate. Yeah. Post Ski Party. Yeah, well, it doesn't sound quite as good when we say a post ski party, but. <laughs> it's a real white boy thing, isn't it? It's like post ski party when it fucking rocks up with some bloody sausage rolls and, you know, a couple of twoies and it's like, oh, yeah, get in there, mate. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, it's been an absolute privilege talking with you today, Hugh, and thanks for sharing your stories. They've. Um, We've we've covered a lot of ground and it's it's been epic. I think for our first episode, it's it's been an honour to have you here. So thanks for joining us on the send today. And if you're listening, hit subscribe. We're going to be having more of these kind of chats. And yeah, looking forward to it. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much. Will cool.